This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So, you know how there are names of groups of animals? Like, I, I think a group of crows is a murder of crows, or if you have a group of rhinoceros, it's called a crash, not mm-hmm. a squad, which, you know, I guess Taylor Swift or my son would call them. It's a crash. Just one more similarity between Taylor Swift and, and your son. <laughs> you did, you forgot a couple of my favorites, though. I've always loved Smack of Jellyfish, and then, of course, A Business of Ferrets, which I don't know why, but that's my favorite, I think. It is pretty great. So, I, I found this video online called How to Care for Your Introvert which claims that a pair of introverts is actually called an awkward, and a group of introverts is what you call an angst. So, is this real? Like, these are real terms? No, of course not. But the, the whole video is jokey and fun, and it points out that introverts are rarely found together in the wild, so these are mostly theoretical terms anyway. But as you know, I'm definitely an introvert. And when I was in high school, I almost used to bristle at this phrase, like, all great figures in history are seen as charismatic and big characters, and I figured... You know, I I could be fun at a party. I have friends. I do things. So I figured there was no way I should be lumped in with the introverts. But then in college, I quickly realized I am such an introvert, especially (laughs) when I compare myself to my wife, who just crams in so many things into her social calendar. It doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, this whole thing has made me wonder, what does being an introvert really mean? Like, do you have to be strictly an introvert or an extrovert? Or is there a spectrum? Do our brains actually behave differently? And is it okay for me to hit the closed door button on an elevator when someone's trying to catch a ride with me? Because <laughs> I would really love a scientific excuse to say that's all right. But yeah. <laughs> let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikader. And on the other side of the soundproof glass, sporting yet another one of his classic t-shirts. This one just says, Introvert Social Club. 
Why go big when you can go home? That's, uh, <laughs> this is one of my favorites of his, but that's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. And I've got to say, for an introverted guy, he definitely speaks volumes with his shirts, Mango. Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, you know, one thing I realized while doing the research for today's show is that introverts can be pretty tough to pin down in terms of personality. And, you know, when most of us hear the term, we immediately think of traits like sensitivity or introspection or maybe quietness. I mean, but the truth is none of those things are guaranteed signs of introversion. And that's because introversion is definitely a spectrum rather than being this one set way of being. So with that distinction in mind, I thought we could use this episode as a way to kind of set the record straight on what's probably one of the more misunderstood aspects of human personality. So we're going to look at the science behind introversion, as well as how our society tends to view introverted people. And we'll also run through some of the pros and cons to really see how introverts stack up against their more outgoing counterparts. And to kick things off, I I thought we could talk a little bit about what introversion is and also what it isn't. So to start from the beginning, the terms introvert and extrovert were first coined by Carl Jung way back in 1921. He used them mainly as a way to distinguish between two prevalent types of personality, those who feel more connected to their inward thoughts and feelings, and those who focus primarily on the external world. And really, that was it. Like, there was no stigma, no rank attached to one or another, you know? Mm. It wasn't like my wife who tells me, you introverts think you're so special. Like, these were just two different, equally valid ways of experiencing and processing the world. Yeah. And in the years since then, other researchers have expanded on Jung's ideas. Of course, there's no catch-all definition for the term, but there are at least a few things we can say about introverts in general. For example, introverts tend to be good listeners who think before they speak. They enjoy time alone. They usually need less stimulation than extroverts when it comes to entertainment. And while they typically tire of small talk quickly, they can talk your ear off when they're given the chance to dig into a topic they really care about. You know, and and, and I think this was something that I've really thought about in the past week or so as we've been working on this topic. And that's the fact that no one is really 100% introverted or 100% extroverted other than my 91-year-old mamma, I think she's pretty close to 100% extroverted. <laughs> Such an extrovert. <laughs> she's definitely an extrovert. But but we're all really more of a mix of both personality types. And I've actually realized that about the two of us. If, if people are looking at the two of us, most people would say, you're an introvert and I'm an extrovert. But really, as we've been doing the research, you kind of realize there, there is this very real mix. It's just that most of us lean harder one way than the other. Definitely. And that's why you'll find like a quiet classmate or a coworker can actually be a really engaging public speaker. And that's because of this big cultural misconception that all introverts are incredibly shy people who could never get up in front of an audience without cracking under the pressure. But in reality, introversion is a completely different thing than shyness. So I, I'm not sure if you remember that groundbreaking book on introverts. It was written by Susan Cain. It's called Quiet. It oh, definitely. came out about Yeah, it came out about five or six years ago, and it's full of really insightful takes on introversion. And one of the things Susan covers is that shyness and being an introvert are driven by completely different forces. So listen to how she explains it. Quote, shyness is the fear of social disapproval or humiliation, while introversion is a preference for environments that are not overstimulating. Shyness is inherently painful. Introversion is not. I mean, I think that's such an interesting quote from that, because those are definitely two words that I think people have just assumed kind of meant the same thing. But Mm -hmm. so so think a little bit more about it. So shyness is more of a reaction than a way of being. And 
So as a result, you could even have an extrovert who might really enjoy being around crowds, but actually is deathly afraid of being in the spotlight themselves. Absolutely. And in the same way, it's possible to have an introvert who's also shy. Since shyness is a learned behavior, an introvert could develop a fear of social situations because they've been made to feel like they don't measure up to extroverts. So it could actually be this, I guess, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and there's that same kind of misconception about social anxiety. I mean, a lot of people would assume that that condition goes hand in hand with introversion, but it doesn't necessarily. I mean, social anxiety is is similar to shyness in that it's largely learned behavior, but anxiety also tends to run in family. So there is without question a very real genetic link there as mm -hmm. well. It's just, you know, a more extreme form of self-consciousness than either shyness or introversion. And just trying to think of an example of this. I mean, somebody with social anxiety might feel totally incapable in a social situation. You know, maybe they tell themselves they don't have anything to contribute or that people will ignore or misunderstand them. So why bother even saying anything? But I mean, that's generally not the case with introverts. In fact, many of them are pretty adept at kind of, you know, you might say turning on their social skills when they need to. All right. Well, now that we know some of the things that introversion is not, we should talk about what it actually is. And like you alluded to at the top of the show, that's kind of easier said than done because most popular definitions fail to capture the range of ways that introversion manifests in people. Like we tend to view introversion as the opposite to extroversion. So if an extrovert's outspoken, then an introvert is tight-lipped. This is kind of a dumbing down of distinctions and it's really nothing new. But thankfully, there's been a lot more research on the subject, and that includes the work of a psychology professor at Wellesley College named Jonathan Cheek. So a few years back, he surveyed a group of 500 adults, and he asked them everything from how often they daydream, how important they consider solitude for their well-being, all sorts of questions like this. And then Cheek used their responses to help develop what he called the star chart. But you know, you don't have to worry about this, Will. I, I know you've got an aversion to astrology. This has nothing to do with where Mercury is rising and what it has to, to do ask. with your star sign. It's actually a breakdown of what Cheek considers the four types of introversion. So it's social, thinking, anxious, and restrained. Even better. So we've got an acronym, and you know I love mm -hmm. a good acronym. So I, <laughs> now I feel like you deserve the chance to kind of give us a rundown of what falls in each of those those four categories. Sure. So the S is social introversion. And this is probably what a lot of people would think of when they're asked to describe introverts, right? Like it's basically a preference for small groups over large ones, for more solitary activities, you know, think about things like uh, reading a book or watching a movie. Thinking introversion, which is the T, that's a little different. Introverts of this type don't mind like big social events or these highly stimulating environments. And that's mainly because they're really connected to their interior world. You know, all that commotion around them is really drowned out by all the introspection that they go through and self-reflection that occupies their minds. Yeah. So these are people, I mean, it kind of makes me think of the phrase where we talk about people being in their own little world, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And the example I read tried to lay it out in Harry Potter terms, which is, of course, very much appreciated. And in that case, the socially awkward Neville would be a social introvert, while a thinking introvert would be someone more like Luna Lovegood, you know, who's sort of dreamily creative. Right. That makes sense. I feel like everything makes more sense when you can explain it in Harry Potter terms. So we'll, <laughs> Definitely. We'll try to do that with all future episodes. But um, all right. So that's the S and the T. So how about the A and the R? 
Right. So next up is anxious introversion. As you might guess from the name, this refers to introverts who have also some form of social anxiety. And it's characterized by a tendency to kind of overthink things and also to dwell on your mistakes or perceived mistakes for well after the fact. I mean, it it really is. uh, It can be crippling. And lastly, there's the R in star, which refers to restrained or reserved. And uh, these are people who take a little while to get going. So instead of diving straight into a conversation, a restrained introvert might, you know, hear what everyone has to say, really take their time to absorb it and think on it, and then offer their own thoughts. So mm-hmm. pretty much they're the think first, act later people in the world. Okay, that makes sense. And I feel like this four-way system definitely covers more ground than just the one blanket term. But I have to also think that, you know, there's an awful lot of overlap between the different types. Like I can imagine somebody being a part thinking introvert and part restrained introvert or, or some other combination of these four. Definitely. And, and when Cheek came up with this model, he really wanted to expand the definition of introvert, not just replace it with these four strict types. So according to him, plenty of introverts are actually a mix of all four types. All right. Well, I'd say we have a pretty good grasp on what goes into being an introvert. So why, why don't we switch gears a little bit and talk about the science of introversion? Because it isn't by chance that introverts and extroverts think differently. I mean, their brains are actually different. For example, if you look at brain scans of the two different types of brains, you'd see a thicker prefrontal cortex in introverts when you compare them to extroverts. And since that part of the brain is connected with things like deep thought and planning, that bigger cortex might actually explain why introverts tend to be less impulsive than extroverts. Now, instead of processing new information directly, these introverts first run it through the neural pathway that deals with planning and long-term memory. And so this is why introverts might actually take longer to make a decision or form a response because they're comparing old and new experiences and even weighing the potential outcomes while they mull things over. And so this can slow the thinking process down a pretty good bit, actually, but It also results in these carefully thought out responses and choices. And that's not something that you always get with extroverts. Which is interesting. You know, I I hadn't heard about that bigger cortexes thing, but now I feel like I'm going to brag to everyone about how large my cortex probably is. I knew that that was coming. (laughs) I know you're going to be bragging about this nonstop. So actually the differences between introverted and extroverted brains that I've always heard about is the way we respond to dopamine. Yeah, And, you know, we've talked about this before. Dopamine is one of the neurotransmitters that's closely tied to our sensation of pleasure, especially when it comes to seeking rewards or taking risks. And uh, dopamine has similar effects on introverts and extroverts alike. When it hits your brain, you feel more alert. You might be more talkative, more motivated to take chances. And in fact, introverts and extroverts even have the same amount of dopamine in their bodies. The difference is that dopamine triggers the reward network much more strongly in the brains of extroverts. So take something like earning a promotion at work. That would likely generate excitement in both kinds of people, right? But the extrovert would feel that excitement to a much greater degree than the introvert. Which, I don't know, when you think about it, it feels like kind of a raw deal for the introverts. It feels like they're getting gypped on the whole dopamine thing, I guess. Well, don't feel too bad just yet because there's actually another transmitter. It's a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, and it's also associated with pleasure. But this one is the go-to choice for introverts looking to unwind. And unlike dopamine, acetylcholine generates these happy feelings for more inward-focused activities. So like thinking deeply about something or concentrating on one thing for an extended period. And the chemical is tied to the parasympathetic side of the nervous system, which is nicknamed the throttle down or the rest and digest side. So 
If Netflix and chill is actually your pastime of choice, you can thank acetylcholine for that. All right, well, since we're getting into the comparisons between introverts and extroverts, uh, I feel like we should go through our list of pros and cons and see how the two ways of being kind of stack up against one another. Yeah, it sounds fun to me. But first, let's take a quick break. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the not-so-subtle differences between introverts and extroverts. All right, Mango, so the first introvert advantage that I want to talk about is their knack for being able to read people. Because when it comes to judging how another person will think or feel or act, studies show that introverts make better inferences than, you know, extroverts, and that's almost every single time. And hmm. we do know this thanks to a study from a team of psychologists at Yale because they were asking more than a thousand participants about how the average person would react in different social situations. So, for example, this one comes straight from the test, and here's the question. It's, quote, people are usually overly confident in the accuracy of their judgments, true or false. I mean, I have to say true on that, but I also feel like I might be being overconfident here. <laughs> and of course, but actually you got the correct answer on this one, but... Anyway, after the survey, the researchers rounded up the highest scoring participants, and then they ran a series of psychological tests. And they did this to determine which personality traits these people had in common. Now, it's not surprising that the respondents who made the most accurate judgments were more likely to be intelligent and interested in problem solving than those who scored poorly. But the more surprising finding was that these same people were also more introverted. And as one of the study's authors explains, quote, 
It could be that the introverted people are spending more time observing human nature than those who are busy interacting with others. Or they are more accurate in introspection because they have fewer motivational biases. They don't view the world through rose-colored glasses as jovial and extroverted people do. Well, I, I mean, that does track with what we were saying about introverts and how they have a tendency to think carefully and be more observant of their surroundings. That's true, but I, I don't want to get accused of serious bias here. So I should <laughs> point out that there was a drawback to the introverts' perception powers in this same study, because along with that intelligence and curiosity, those highest scoring participants also reported being more lonely and maybe having lower self-esteem than their more extroverted counterparts. So it's not really an across-the-board win for either one of these groups. Yeah, and those kind of trade-offs kind of pop up a lot when you compare introverts and extroverts. And I, I mean, it, it makes sense from an evolutionary perspective that both types of people would excel and also lag in different ways. You know, if one way of being was decidedly better than the other, it feels like we still wouldn't have both types of people in the world. And if you think about how these different traits might have emerged in the first place, it's easy to see their respective evolutionary advantages. Like um, if you took like prehistoric introverts, they likely would have stuck close to the cave and avoided predators, which would have increased their chances of not being eaten. And on the other hand, like the extroverted cavemen would have wandered far and wide and, and they would have had the instincts to look for new types of food and shelter and all of that when shelter was in short supply. And that's a good point. I'd not really thought about that way. But I mean, what would you make of the idea that introverts tend to be more melancholic? I mean, I know I've heard before that extroverts are happier people overall when they're measured against introverts. And that study from Yale does seem to lend some credence to that theory. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so I, I've actually seen those studies before, too, and, and they usually center on that dopamine reaction that we talked about earlier. And the truth is, happiness levels are pretty evenly matched between introverts and extroverts when it comes, I guess, to, like, inwardly focused activities, you know, watching TV, listening to music, reading a book. But the real disparity arises when you look at happiness levels during social activities and the ones where some kind of reward is at stake. And in those cases, extroverts really have the advantage. But... You know, according to Susan Cain, this is more about how we define happiness than it is about who's objectively happier. For example, in, in Western cultures like our own, we, we have a habit of viewing happiness as an active state. It's sort of this explosive enthusiasm and excitement and giddiness. And, you know, that's not the case for Eastern cultures where happiness is seen as something more passive. It's contentment and peacefulness and almost this feeling of being present and focused in the moment. So... Kane actually has a quote on this. She says, when introverts talk about the things that they most love to do, it's very often activities like reading, hiking, cycling, being with their spouses, being with their children. It's a quieter type of contentment that often fuels introverts and that we don't pay proper attention to. But speaking of proper attention, you know, that might be another reason that extroverts report such higher levels of happiness because they're less introspective. And because of that, they also tend to overlook drawbacks and great experiences on a curve. So, for example, an extrovert might say that they had a great time at a party and not even mention things like there wasn't enough food to go around or that the sound system kept going <laughs> out. But I guess I feel like you're using specific examples from things. <laughs> These are things that happened at a party I went to. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, an introvert would likely notice all these little details and, uh, you know, have a better sense of how it impacted everyone's overall experience. But 
you know, in the end, it could be that the introverts are more inclined to give this less rosy and potentially more accurate assessment of how happy they really are. I mean, I think that's probably true. But I mean, back to what we were saying about those trade-offs. And, and to be fair, there are costs to being an extrovert as well. I mean, we mentioned that extroverts have this penchant for risk-taking. And so, as you might expect, that tendency can backfire in some pretty damaging ways. I mean, as an example, extroverts are more likely to be hospitalized for an accident or for an illness than introverts are. And they're more likely to develop criminal behaviors. They're more likely to get arrested, too. Like, all of these things are true. <laughs> that can't be true. I mean, I feel like they're more likely to be arrested. Yeah, this is why I'm trying to claim that I'm not as much of an extrovert as I once thought that I was. But um, <laughs> I mean, but I guess it makes sense if you're impulsive instead of a planner. But this uh -huh. does come from the journal Comprehensive Psychiatry. And this was from research conducted at Johns Hopkins and at the Bloomberg School of Public Health. So, Mango, that sounds about as legit as it gets. Yeah, it's so bizarre. But, you, you know, we've been focusing on differences. I, I do want to make sure that we mention some of the similarities between introverts and extroverts. And this is a pretty unexpected one. So you know how introverts need time alone to kind of recharge their batteries after a social outing? Yeah. I, I feel like this is always the definition I've always used for introversion. And obviously, these people can turn on their extroverted behavior for a while, but they eventually start to feel drained and just want to go home and relax. But it turns out that too much socializing can actually be exhausting for everyone, even extroverts. So hmm. a couple of years ago, this Finnish research team found that the more people were acting extroverted, the more they reported being in a positive mood and feeling unfatigued in the moment. However, after three hours of socializing, people reported these higher levels of fatigue. And this was true for both introverts and extroverts. Yeah, I mean, but three hours of intense socializing, that just sounds exhausting. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know who wouldn't be tired by that. Bill but, Clinton, I think. Yeah, you're person. probably right. But I mean, it is interesting that acting introverted netted the same positive mood boost for both the introverts and the extroverts, at least, you know, for a little while. But and I guess it goes to show that humans really are social animals just to differing degrees, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a safe bet. But before we move on, I want to point out that not all people lean towards extroversion or introversion. There's actually a third kind of person called an ambivert. And these are the people who fall right smack in the middle of the spectrum. And it's actually way more common than I would have expected. I thought these were like unicorns. But in fact, <laughs> according to one study, ambiverts make up about 38% of the population at any given time. It's kind of a weird word, though, don't you think? Like, to yeah. be called an ambivert. But uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's really an insult. I mean, I am curious, though, like, where do ambiverts land in terms of the kinds of advantages that we've been talking about? So the thing is that fewer studies have been commissioned on ambiverts. It's partially because scientists love studying the extremes. But uh, th there was a management expert named Adam Grant who conducted a study back in 2013. He surveyed 340 call center employees and found that two-thirds of them considered themselves neither introverted nor extroverted. And while you might think the extroverts would have this clear advantage when it came to talking on the phone for a living, Grant actually found that it was the ambiverts who closed most of the sales. Hmm. And do we know why that is? Not entirely, but Grant's theory is that ambiverts are just better suited for both aspects of a sales call. You know, they could do the talking, they could also do the listening. And as he explained, ambiverts are, quote, likely to express the assertiveness and enthusiasm to persuade and close a sale, but are more inclined to listen and also are less vulnerable to appearing too excited or overconfident. And I guess it makes a lot of sense when you when you think about it. But 
I'm glad you've broached this subject of job proficiency, though, because one thing that I was looking into this week is how introverts are faring in today's job market. I mean, it's it's not surprising that they've had a rough go of things in the past, both in terms of business and in society as a whole. But I was really trying to get a sense of whether things have gotten any easier for introverts in the information age. Yeah, I mean, you think about that Moneyball example where people who ran funny or didn't look handsome enough were considered less exciting prospects and then mm-hmm. less valued. And you can see how that might apply similarly to quiet employees. But let's take another quick break and then dive back in. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Okay, well, so I know you wanted to talk about how society views introverts, and I think I have the perfect Susan Cain quote to set the stage. You know, at the beginning of her book, Quiet, she writes, quote, Today we make room for a remarkably narrow range of personality styles. We're told that to be great is to be bold. To be happy is to be sociable. We see ourselves as a nation of extroverts, which means that we have lost sight of who we really are. Depending on which study you consult, one-third to one-half of Americans are introverts. In other words, one out of every two or three people you know. If you are not an introvert yourself, you are surely raising, managing, married to, or coupled with one. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be true. And it's clear that our country has a strong bias toward extroversion. And actually, this is something Kane experienced firsthand. I mean, she was an attorney and a negotiator before she ever decided to get into writing. And she experienced this all through her career. Kane says she felt ashamed of being an introvert, and not only did she come to view her quietness and reserve as somewhat of a professional disadvantage, she even considered it a behavioral defect. I mean, something to correct or overcome, which is really unfortunate to think about. And really, it's no wonder she felt this way because most schools and businesses, they're 
pressuring us all our lives to be more extroverted and to get out of our heads and complete work in groups and complete, you know, things as a team. So it's, it, it's not surprising that people would think this way. Yeah. I mean, I, I hadn't thought about this before, but most of our institutions are clearly set to cater to extroverts and the kinds of stimulation they enjoy. Like if you think about brainstorming meetings where the most upbeat person in the office stands at a whiteboard and kind of coaxes ideas out of everyone there's at least 40 years of research that says individuals brainstorming on their own come up with better ideas than groups do. But most businesses have missed that memo. You know, I feel like, Mango, this is one of those episodes where every time you're mentioning things, I'm like, you've got somebody <laughs> specific in mind. I know it. But uh, anyway, but you, th you think about that groupthink mentality that it's become the standard in most U.S. schools as well. I mean, you know, the idea that these off-the-cuff interactions will produce these new or creative ideas, and, and that is probably true in some cases, but that approach definitely discounts the creativity that comes with, with being in solitude sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame, too, because you don't want kids to think their natural inclinations are invalid. Like, sometimes you see the parents of preschool or elementary-age students making apologies for their children's introversion. Mm -hmm. You know, like, uh, I'm sorry he's so quiet or something like that. I I've been guilty of this in the past. And, and so many of these kids grow up making the same apologies for themselves as if their innate personalities are something they should apologize for. Yeah, it's true. But, you know, thanks to the work of Susan Cain and, of course, others, we we've been thinking about this and our society has been showing introverts I think a lot more empathy in recent years and, you know, from shirts like the one Tristan's rocking and rocking <laughs> so well today to the rocking it so hard. <laughs> oh man. You think about the countless listicles and introvert quizzes that we're all bombarded with and being an introvert in America is now more accepted than any other time in history. In fact, one nice side effect to the culture becoming more accepting of introversion is that it opens up these new career opportunities for introverts. And, in fact, have you heard this podcast that's called Hiding in the Bathroom? I have not. So it's hosted by an introverted blogger turned podcaster named Maura Aaron's Meal. And it's basically an ongoing rebuttal to the idea that introversion is always a weakness and extroversion is always a strength. Which is so weird. An introvert podcaster. I, I feel like who would have heard of such a thing? I mean, that can't even be possible, can it? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, it makes perfect sense that introverts might thrive in a field like that. I mean, after all, podcasts walk that line between private and public, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, it's the same thing we touched on earlier about how some introverts actually make great public speakers because they enjoy the opportunity to dig in and really think about these topics in depth, which is you know, why everyone should actually listen to Susan Cain's TED Talk, because it's really, really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Well, the internet has also been a boon for introverts. I mean, you get to actively engage with so many different people, all from this relative comfort and safety of your own home. But what's interesting is that introverts are finding new career opportunities away from their screens, too. This is according to Smithsonian. Introverts are in high demand on Mars, or at least on these <laughs> NASA missions to Mars, because according to a 2014 report, researchers now believe that extroverts could be a, quote, liability on long-term space missions. <laughs> Is that just because they're afraid there'd be too many criminals in the mix? Yeah, way too many criminals. No, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really because we're talking about pinning up these talkative, highly outgoing people in these isolated environments for years on end. So, uh -huh. I mean, not only would these extroverted team members drive everybody else crazy on board, but they'd also have to contend with living in an environment that really gives them very little room for new activities or social interaction. So you could see how it could be pretty tough for them. 
Yeah, I mean, my, my daughter is a total extrovert too. And, <laughs> and before we put her in preschool, when she was just at home, we thought she was like a husky without work. She was just going around being destructive <laughs> and couldn't figure out what to do with herself. And then you yep. put her in school and she's interacting with kids and suddenly she's just totally happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are definitely surrounded by extroverts in, uh-huh. in your life. But, um, you know, you think about it, the goal is to find the right balance here and that sweet spot where introverts and extroverts kind of even each other out to create this compatible and functioning team. Yeah, that, that feels like what we should be striving for in general. But, you know, at the risk of going full cornball here, I, I, I did want to share some advice that Susan Kane put together for the introverts out there. It's called the Quiet Revolution Manifesto. And she has 10 tips for everyone who is introverted. And I, I thought I'd just share it here. Great. So this is how it goes. One, there's a word for people who are in their heads too much. Thinkers. Two, Solitude is a catalyst for innovation. Three, the next generation of quiet kids can and must be raised to know their own strengths. Four, sometimes it helps to be a pretend extrovert. There's always time to be quiet later. Five, but in the long run, staying true to your temperament is the key to finding work you love and work that matters. Six, one genuine relationship is worth a fistful of business cards. So I'm just going to pause for a second. This is actually something that made me think differently about networking events, which I always feel like I have to go to for work and and make contacts and stuff. And I'm terrible at them. But it is true. Like if if you sit in the corner, but you make one good relationship at these things, it does feel like the event has been worthwhile. And and that sort of eased my, my thinking about this. But back to the list. Seven, it's okay to cross the street to avoid making small talk. Eight. Quiet leadership is not an oxymoron. Nine, love is essential. Gregariousness is optional. Hmm. And 10, in a gentle way, you can shake the world. And that's a quote from Mahatma Gandhi. You know what? This is this is inspiring me. I feel like the introverts of the world should unite in this case. I mean, of course, separately in their own houses, but still. <laughs> exactly. And with that sort of amazing call to action that you've just given, what do you say we step out of our own shells and go head to head in a fact off? Sounds good. All right. So here's a quick one. Did you know that guzzling coffee before a meeting might backfire on introverts looking for a little bit of a brain boost? Uh-uh. This is according to psychologist Brian Little. Quote, after ingesting about two cups of coffee, extroverts carry out tasks more efficiently, whereas introverts perform less well. This deficit is magnified if the task they are engaging in is quantitative and if it is done under time pressure. That's really interesting. I've got to cut back my uh, caffeine intake. <laughs> So here's a funny one, also related to coffee. Uh, There's a new machine in Singapore that's basically an office coffee machine that withholds the coffee until two people have a conversation in front of it. Oh, no. It's being billed as the LinkedIn of coffee machines. And the whole idea is to facilitate more human interactions, especially in spaces where everyone's communicating on Slack. But for those of us who are on the quieter end of the spectrum and really just want our cup of coffee in the morning, it's got a nickname. It's called the Introvert Torture Device. Wow, that sounds about right. (laughs) That's pretty rough. All right, so there have been more than a few introverted presidents in American history. We, of course, think of Lincoln being one and Obama was one, but I think Calvin Coolidge might be the most famous of them. So there's all these stories of people visiting the White House, and when they talked, he would just stare at them 
In fact, during one interview, Coolidge said his strategy was basically to let people monologue their way out of his office. (laughs) As he put it, many times I say yes or no to people, but even that is too much. It winds them up for 20 minutes more. (laughs) I love that. You know, there's this one great story about Coolidge I have to share. So we've talked about him and his weird uh, practical jokes in the past, like how he'd hit the buzzer to call the Secret Service into his office and then he'd hide under the desk, which... Honestly, it just makes him sound like an idiot, but <laughs> I, I, I read he'd also often pour cream into his saucer instead of his teacup, and then all these people sitting around him at a meeting or whatever would be confused. So after a while, they'd do the same, like they thought this is how the president likes to drink his cream right. or whatever, and, and they <laughs> wa- didn't want to make him feel bad. They thought maybe he was sophisticated, so like they'd do the same thing, and after they'd all poured their cream into their saucers— he just quietly placed the saucer on the floor for his dogs to laugh at. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty but, great. Yeah, I know. I, I think it's so terrific. But here's my fact. So uh, apparently we all get more introverted as we get older. And, you know, I, I guess this feels true. Like we're less interested in needing approval. We're less interested in making friends and all, all that stuff. But apparently this is all an evolutionary mechanism. So there's more need to make bonds when you're younger than when you're older. But what's funny, and Susan Cain points this out, is that relative levels of introversion tend to stay the same. So she says, like, if you go back to your high school reunion, for instance, and you went and you ranked everyone in your class into their levels of extroversion, they'd all have the same rank. But it's just that everyone would have shifted together along the spectrum. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. But I mean, I guess it also makes sense. Okay, well... One of our favorite kids authors of all time, Theodore Geisel, a.k.a. Dr. Seuss. Did you know that he was a total introvert? Oh, that's interesting. I I actually wouldn't have figured that because you read about him in college and he he was always at keg parties and things. Yeah, well, at least in terms of how he liked to work. I mean, he loved working in a quiet studio. And in fact, you know, once he became pretty famous, he rarely went out in public because He was worried that kids would want him to be kind of like the cat in the hat, like this big, over-the-top, gregarious figure. And so he actually stayed in because he was, quote, worried his fans would be disappointed by his reserved personality. Oh, that's that's almost sad. But I do like that a person who's definitely had this outsized influence on society and kids and just making people happy in general is actually this poster boy for introversion. So... I think we should quietly, quietly tip our hats to Dr. Seuss, and you can keep today's trophy. All right. Well, thanks so much. This has been a really fun one. I know we've got lots of introverts and extroverts out there who've been listening today, and we'd love to hear some facts from you that we may have forgotten for today's episode. You can always send those to parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. But as always, thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who?
This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.